0: Amen. Thank you very much, Brother John. Haggai chapter 2. That's where we'll be at. Haggai chapter 2. I'll give you about 10 to 15 minutes to try to find that. (laughs) I did forget to make an announcement as well. Uh, The verse verse review for this month is a review. Uh, So uh, I believe there are review sheets in the back Welcome Center, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I uh, didn't get a chance, wasn't sure which ones we were going through for this month, but uh, don't uh, go ahead and grab one and go over that, and hopefully in the weeks ahead we'll have some verses that we'll go through on Sunday night. But that's what we're doing for the month of August. Haggai chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Haggai 2, 1 through 9 says this in the 7th month in the 1 and 20th day of the month came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai saying speak now to Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest and to the residue of the people saying who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory and how do you, and how do ye see it now Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Uh, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I uh, covenanted with you when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once is it a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The of the message here this evening is uh, defeating, dis- defeating discouragement, defeating discouragement. I was uh, reading a devotional and I came across this passage here and I uh, thought about it and it really touched my heart and I started looking into it a little bit here and it spoke to me and, and I think it's what uh, the Lord have for us here uh, tonight uh, is we all face discouragement from time to time, right? We all face disappointments uh, in, in our lives. And we need to know how to properly defeat that and, uh, how, uh, some, also maybe think about some areas in our life that maybe brought on that discouragement in the first place. So we're going to look at that here. You know, you think about Satan and his, and his job, uh, as who he is, is to, uh, discourage us as Christians as much as he possibly can. Uh, he's, he's out, uh, to hurt the cause of Christ. Uh, as much as he can. And I think we would all agree with that tonight. Now, the Bible describes how he has many weapons uh, in his arsenal and uh, a lot of different things that he will use to accomplish his goal. And I believe that one weapon that Satan would use that definitely would pack the biggest punch would be the weapon of discouragement. Because if he can cause a Christian to be disappointed, if he can cause a Christian to be discouraged, in his life, then he can cause that Christian to fall away from the Lord and um, really start living for the world and not for Christ anymore and so it's important that we understand how to properly deal with with discouragement and because uh, we don't want Satan to win the battle we don 't want him to claim another uh, person uh, on his side. You know, we, want, we want to keep moving forward for Christ, and uh, we want to do everything that we can to live for him. Discouragement and disappointment, as as you well know, comes in many shapes and sizes. And if it's not properly dealt with, even if it is a small discouragement, it can turn into something big. And so uh, it can turn into, really, uh, the final blow for the Christian. In this passage, we see that uh, the people of Israel are disappointed, they're discouraged, um, and uh, they they are um, living a life of defeat. And many years earlier, uh, not too many, but um, from what we just read, uh, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians uh, came in and they took uh, many Israelites captive. Okay, that's pretty discouraging. That's pretty disappointing. Uh, they invaded Israel and uh, they took the people captive. They destroyed much. And one of the things that they destroyed was the temple, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. Uh, one of the most sacred places uh, there and uh, after 50 years of captivity there uh, some of them were allowed to uh, to go back to their homeland and the first thing on their mind was to rebuild that temple that was the what they wanted to focus on that was that was their big uh, thing moving forward uh, it was a picture of putting God forward first and foremost in their lives. Um, they, they, yes, just came from uh, a captivity, but being released, they understood that God was with them, and they understood that they needed to uh, move forward. They needed to get things built that would allow them to um, move forward for Christ. So that was on their agenda, the first thing. But opposition hindered the work for many years after that. Uh, I believe it was the Samaritans came and for 15 or so years just kept on attacking, kept on causing problems there. And uh, as you'd guess, that temple that they were hoping to to build uh, remained unbuilt. And uh, maybe they started it, um, but it wasn't finished. And uh, there was a lot of uh, things that needed to be done there. Uh, if you still in the book of Haggai, we'll be turning around a little bit tonight, um, but uh, just in chapter 1, if you turn there, Haggai chapter 1 and uh, verses 2 through 5, um, says this, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, uh, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in and your uh, sealed houses, and this house lie in waste. So we get an idea here that, okay, they, they were building, they were, um, uh, kind of what they were doing is they were building their own homes. They, were, they, they lost sight of what they were supposed to do. Uh, they lost sight of the most important things. Uh, uh, that would have been the temple. That would have been putting God first. And they're, they're uh, focusing on building up their homes now. And they kind of forgot all about uh, the house of the Lord. And so uh, God is going to send, call the prophet Haggai to encourage the people to get back to work. And the people responded to the voice of God, I'm thinking in a pretty good way. Uh, but after only a little while they became discouraged again. Uh, for whatever uh, reason, uh, they allowed uh, some silly thing, we'll look at that in just a second, to to basically halt the, prepper, the, the work of the Lord. They wanted to quit. Uh, and uh, what was it this time? Well, they were disappointed by the temple that they were building in comparison to Solomon's temple 50, 60 years before. So they're looking at Uh, this thing that they're building, the temple, and they're like, well, this thing is pretty wimpy compared to what Solomon's temple was like. And so they were comparing uh, the temple 60 years ago with what they're building now, and uh, they were like, this is just pointless. There's no reason to go forward with this. And so Haggai's mission now turns into one of encouraging the people to press on, keep moving forward with the work. And that is the message that we would have for tonight, is simply to press on. Uh, as I said, we all face discouragement and disappointment, and we'll look at that later, but that, those discouraging times can cause us to stop what we're supposed to be doing for the Lord, and we need to be encouraged to press on for the Lord. And uh, if we aren't careful, those times can cause us to derail, to lose focus, and lose our faith in the Lord, and we don't want to do that as Christians. So I shares share some pretty important words with the people uh, during their time of discouragement, and the lessons that are taught here can also help us as we face discouragement in times as well. So the first thing here, two main points, uh, first one is what caused their discouragement? What caused their discouragement? And first one under that, letter A, is comparing. They compared. That's what caused their discouragement. And back in Haggai 2, and in verse 3, it says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do ye see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? So the problem was that they were, as I said before, they were comparing the temple 60 years ago with what they were building now, the Solomon's Temple, uh, compared to what they were building now. Now, Solomon's Temple, indeed, was magnificent. It was a really nice temple, really nice building. Uh, It was constructed... Uh, uh, from what I've read, out of half of the known gold for that day, it's about 35 tons of it. Uh, it was something that was much larger than what they were building now, and it was just breathtaking to look upon. It was nothing in comparison, honestly, with what they were building at that time. Plus, they remembered the good times and fellowship with God in that temple, in and around that temple. Uh, So that kind of added more to their disappointment. What they were doing, they felt like it was just not really anything worthwhile compared to what it used to be a long time ago. If you turn to Ezra chapter 3, sorry, I I will have you turn a few places here. Keep your uh, space there in Haggai, Ezra chapter 3. This gives us a little bit more detail Kind of, what's going on here, Ezra chapter 3 and verse 9 says this, Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, uh, Academiel, and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the houses of God, the sons of Hanadad, "...with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising, and giving thanks unto the Lord, because He is good, for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, "...when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid." And uh, two more verses here. "...but many of the priests and Levites and the chiefs of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house, when the foundation of the house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people." For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. So uh, we see here again, just different portion of scripture here. That as they're building this new temple, some of the older generation, uh, which I don't know wh- how, what their age would have been, it was only sixty years or so before, uh, but they were remembering Solomon's temple, and they were like, <laughs> as they were building this new temple, you have the younger generation shouting for joy. They're so happy by what they're accomplishing. They laid the foundation. They begun the work, but then you hear over in the sidelines, you hear some of the older people just weeping, sorrowful, because they remember what it used to be like. So they're comparing what's going on here. You know, comparing ourselves with other people is never a good idea, right? And you'll always be setting yourself up for disappointment when you decide to do so. Comparing the way things used to be with the way things are now is never a good idea either. You know, I kind of feel like this really separates the old Crowd from the young crowd. I do think it's more of a young, uh, younger crowd issue for people to compare with other people. I think uh, the media and TV entertainment pushes that hugely, and uh, so uh, the younger group would be the ones to compare with other people, whether that be looks, talents, you name it. And then the older people, well, they've they've been around the block a time or two, so they'd be the ones more to compare with. Uh, the way things used to be. It's not quite what it's like today. And so I think comparing is a huge problem that we have, and what does that do? That brings discouragement. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 12, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you, but this is what this verse says. It says, "...for we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves." But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. When you decide to compare yourself with somebody else, uh, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. And that is not a wise thing to do. If we were to compare ourselves with others who excel us, for instance, if I were to compare myself with somebody that's a way better preacher than I am, well, that would probably make me, I guess, humble in a way. But usually what we do is we compare ourselves with people that we think are not as good as we are. What does that make us? That makes us a prideful person. And really what we're doing is we're making ourselves discouraged, we're making ourselves disappointed. And so uh, we think sometimes that we can do a better job, we think it's really all about us, and comparing when it comes to other people is setting you up for a world of hurt. We often think that we are the best or that the good old days were the best. And that may be the case. But what I've always found, you know, there's always somebody that's better than you. There's always a time, you know, we we need to look, as we'll see in just a little bit, we need to look towards the future because we always hope in the future that what's going to happen in the future is going to be better than what's taking place now. And we should have that type of mindset that, hey, there's somebody better than me. That's okay. We're looking forward to the days forward. That's going to be better than now. That's okay. And we hope and we dream that that would be the case. But when we compare ourselves thinking that we're great or that uh, days in the past used to be really nice compared to now, we are going to be discouraged because that's something that, honestly, we can't do anything about. And uh, so what does the Bible say our action should be? Well, Philippians 2, 3, let each esteem others better than themselves. That's what we should be doing. We should be humble. We should be willing to lift up other people before ourselves. And that's what pleases God. We should ask ourselves the question in Galatians 1, verse 10, says this, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men... I should not be the servant of Christ. What are you trying to do today? Are you trying to please God or are you trying to please yourself? If you're comparing, most likely you're trying to please yourself and you're going to set yourself up for disappointment. And we should be striving to just please the Lord, please Him in all things. It shouldn't be about us, it should be about Christ. Comparing yourself with others or comparing things in the past with now has the potential to bring disappointment. And not only did they compare themselves, but another problem that brought disappointment uh, in the Israelites' li- lives was letter B, they forgot. They forgot. We're back in Haggai chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. It says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of J- J- Josedech, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord. And worked for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts, according to the word that I coveted with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you, fear ye not. So God reminds them here that he was in the past, and he is with them right now as they're building this new temple. He makes reference to this in verse 5 when he says that he was with the nation when they came out of Egypt, when they were in Egypt and when they came out of Egypt. He was the source of great miracles that they experienced in the past. So how could they forget those things? How could they forget the crossing of the Red Sea? How could they forget the provisions along the way? They also forgot the fact that God was there in the glory days of Solomon's temple, and he is there right now. You know, God is the beginning and the end. He is always there. He's always been there. That's who God is. God tells his people that he is still there. My spirit remaineth among you, he says. Think about what God is saying here. Past is gone. Think about Moses and what an influential character he is. He was. He's gone. Uh, Solomon is gone. The temple's gone. But hello, I'm still here. God is still there with them. They forgot about that. God has never left and never will. And that ought to bring us encouragement, not discouragement. Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6 it says, Be strong and of good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God, it is he that doth go before thee, that go with thee, sorry. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. He goes with you no matter what. He is there. Hebrews thirteen five. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for he hath said, "I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee." The Psalm speaks much about God being our strength and our source of encouragement. You know, if we forget about God, if we forget that He is near, if we allow uh, comparisons, and if we allow ourselves to forget about God. That's going to bring discouragement because he's the source of our encouragement. So If we forget about him, we're automatically discouraged. We need to keep him close to us. We need to remember him uh, during uh, all aspects of our Christian life. So we looked at how exactly these Israelites became dis- disappointed. How can we defeat discouragement? How can we defeat that? It's Roman numeral number two. As we read on in our text, we can find at least two other things that will help us in defeating discouragement here tonight. This first one's pretty pretty obvious. The problem was that they forgot God. Well, okay, how do we defeat discouragement? Remember God. Remember God. That's letter A. In verse 4, the people are called to turn their eyes away from their pain, their problems, their disappointment, and look to God who is greater than anything that they will ever face. You will notice in the passage uh, that we've read in a couple different areas where they call God a very special name, the Lord of hosts. And we can see this in verse 4 towards the end. It says, For I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. You see that in verse 6. As well, uh, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, we can see that in verse 7, 8, and 9 as well, we see that God is described as the Lord of hosts. The name that, if you translate that, it it's basically just means God Almighty. And uh, in other words, there's none greater than he is. There's none greater than God. No one can defeat him. No one can uh, cause uh, him to uh, shrink down any. He is who he is. He is God Almighty. I believe I mentioned the last time I preached uh, a little while back, a couple months, I think, that one of the areas that I believe that the Christians oftentimes fail in is just in how we foresee God, who he is. We don't see him uh, as we ought to for who he really is. And I think that's crucial in fighting off discouragement as well. We need to understand that God is with us and remember him and that he can give us help uh, through that disappointing time that we're going through. Return to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. This chapter here uh, is... Pastor Aaron mentioned that Isaiah was a really great book, and I have to agree, there's a lot of uh, great um, chapters in here that really tell us a lot about our God. And um, as we can see here in the first six verses, and really throughout the entire chapter, uh, that our God is um, the best. He is the God Almighty. He is the Lord of hosts. Uh, chapter 45, and starting in verse 1, it says, "'Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, "'to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him "'the two leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. "'I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. "'I will break in pieces the the gates of brass, and cut in sunder the bars of iron.'" I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou may know that I, the Lord, which shall call thee by thy name and the God of Israel. For Jacob, thy servant's sake, and Israel, mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name. I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not known me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, thou hast not known me. And we can go on, as I said, and it just explains that there is no other God that even comes close to the God that we have. Uh, we need to remember who he is. You see, God could have done exactly what he did in Solomon's day. He was there. He could have done exactly the same thing as when they were building it. He could have made it to the exact specifications of Solomon's temple. Of course he could. And that's God. Uh, but their focus was off, you know. They didn't look to God as if he could accomplish great things. And uh, they they got their focus off off God and upon other things. To the Israelites, rebuilding the temple uh, was uh, something that was needed, but they forgot about God. And uh, so when, as they're building this new temple... As they made God small, that automatically elevated their disappointment. As they began to compare, and that's just a pointless thing to do. I love uh, um, uh, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, I think this may be one of the last passages I'll have you turn to. I'm not promising anything, but if you turn to First Samuel, uh, Samuel chapter 17, First Samuel chapter 17. And uh, in verse 45, I really, I believe the story of David and Goliath really spells out this point, just how powerful our God is. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 45 It says, Then said David to the Philistines, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give thee the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day, and to the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saved not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." I believe there's a patch CD. It's called Giant Killer, you know. There's a three-year-old listening to it. Such an intense patch CD, you know, as that has to do with David and Goliath. Well, there's a part where they they say all of that, and, you know, for the longest time, no one would just run through the house. They're like, I come to you in the name of the Lord. You come to me with the sword and spear. And he was just so excited about it, and I thought that was great, you know. He understands that it doesn't matter what you come with. Just having God's presence is far outweighs anything that you may deal with. You know, I love how it says there that the battle is the Lord's. It's already his. There's nothing that David had to fear. It didn't matter what he had. A little sling and a smooth stone would have been suffice, and it was, because he had God on his side. That's the God that we serve, and it doesn't really matter what, what we are going through in life, what disappointments we may have, what, why, whatever we may think that this time period is worse than what it was a long time ago, it doesn't matter, because we still have God right here with us, and he is the same yesterday and today forever, and he can do just as great things now as he did in the past. So there's no sense in comparing today. We must remember God. We must focus on Him. And then finally, letter B, we must move forward. We must move forward. Notice the two references to the future uh, that we have here uh, in verse 7. And I did what I told you guys not to do. I lost my spot. (laughs) Give me 10, 15 minutes here and I'll find it. Okay, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7, and it says this, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I, notice, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill thy house of glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So we see something here that's kind of foretelling the, the future, okay? When, it, when it's referencing, when it says the desire of all nations will come, it's actually referencing Jesus Christ, who's gonna come about 500 years or so, uh, come to earth. And it's going to die for the sins of the world. And this is obviously something to look forward to. Uh, This is a great thing that the nation of Israel is looking forward to. And then God makes another reference to the temple that they are building, another thing that's looking forward into the future. In verse 9 it says, "...the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts." What he's saying is that this temple that you're building now is going to be greater than, well, the one that's destroyed. There's nothing left of it. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, would walk the earth, and he would fill that temple in person. And again, as we look to the future, uh, you know, as we move forward, that's such a key thing for Christians to do. Discouragement will stop you in your steps. You won't move forward. Uh, But when you are encouraged... When you just, whatever it takes, take one step forward, keep moving, that is another key to getting rid of discouragement, to um, getting rid of disappointment. And even today we look forward to the second coming of, of coming of Christ, right? And uh, that gives us hope, that gives us peace. You know, as we go through those difficult times, we look forward to Christ coming to take us home one day. And uh, so no matter what we may face here on this earth... Uh, Right now, um, we can look forward to Christ one day. And uh, we will turn to one other passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16 says this, "Um, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And I love what verse 18 says. "says Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That is comfort to know that one day that God is going to come for us. God's going to take us home. We have no need to be discouraged no need to be disappointed. We have something to look forward to, a reason to keep moving forward for the cause of Christ. Notice in verse 4, almost done here, Haggai in verse 4, it makes a couple notes here um, about um, activity, action. Um, you know, Discouragement halts you right there where you are, makes you sit down, you know, don't feel like doing anything. But we notice that there's a charge here in verse 4. It says, uh, God says, be strong. And then he also says in the end of that verse there, to work. Uh, So, uh, you know, we like to just sit around and drown ourselves in our tears and our disappointments and our discouragements. But these words are words of action. Keep moving forward. Take one step uh, ahead and keep moving uh, for Christ. We all know Paul, he faced much, op- much opposition uh, in his ministry and uh, much discouragement, much disappointment, um, but that didn't get him down. He says this in Philippians three thirteen through 14 Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, forget about those things, and reach forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To defeat discouragement, you must remember God, and you must keep moving forward for Him. There's really nothing else. That's all you need. You remember God. He's close to you. He's on your side. uh, You have peace, and uh, that motivates you to keep moving forward for Him. You find yourself facing the defeat of discouragement uh, from time to time. Maybe you are uh, here even tonight. You're facing some disappointments. Maybe you've allowed yourself to compare yourself with somebody else, and that's gotten you discouraged. It will, because that's not right. That's sin. Um, Maybe you forgot about God. You forgot that He is able to work in your life now, just like maybe He did in the past. Maybe you forgot about Him. I want to encourage you to remember God and just keep moving forward for Him. That is how you will defeat discouragement. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this time in Your Word. Thank You for speaking to my heart about this. And and we all face discouragement from time to time. We're not exempt from this as Christians for sure. And uh, some of us, we go through a lot. Some of us, are, uh, we, we are on, on, the, on the brink of, of failure, of just crumbling because of the discouragement that we face. But... But, Lord, we don't have to. We don't have to give up. We, we can keep moving for the cause of Christ, for you. And, Lord, help us to remember you. Help us to cease from comparing ourselves with others and from times with other times. Lord, help, us, help us to just focus on you. Help us not to forget about who you are. And, Lord, as we do so, as you give us the strength and the power, uh, Lord, we can keep moving forward uh, for you. I pray that you would bless this invitation. Lord, uh, I pray that you would speak to our hearts uh, during it in your name. Amen.